Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group. Why one departing CIO is chasing impact away from the public sector. I left healthcare to go to government because they made this opportunity to make the world better for people. And I'm leaving government to go back to the private sector again because of the same thing. When digitization drives huge efficiency. With the digitization of this application, we we are seeing about 24% reduction in illegible, um, illegible applications, as well as a 52% reduction in incomplete applications. So, so that is tremendous. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. Nevada is working to distribute its biggest ever investment in broadband infrastructure, but its plans may be disrupted by requirements from the federal government. The challenge? The National Telecommunications and Information Administration wants funding from the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program to be able to go to municipal broadband networks, but Nevada state law, as well as laws in 16 other states, prohibits that. Whether or not the state will change remains to be seen. Nearly 1,700 state and local government agencies and education institutions have bought telecommunications products made by Chinese firms banned from doing business with the federal government since 2015, according to a new report from Georgetown Center for Security and Emerging Technology. Only five states have similarly banned these purchases. Each piece of equipment represents a potential entry point into users' networks, the report says. Maryland officials said this week that a workforce development program will fund cybersecurity training for up to 100 state technology employees. The program, run by the State Department of Labor and overseen by the Department of Information Technology, will send selected employees to the Baltimore Cyber Range for basic or advanced cybersecurity courses. You can read these stories and more at statescoop.com. You'll also find links in today's show notes. North Dakota CIO Sean Riley is leaving state government later this year. Riley, who's been the state CIO for six years, will take over as the CEO of American Operations for BitZero International, which is a cryptocurrency mining company. During Riley's tenure, the state overhauled its approach to cybersecurity. He tells State Soup's Colin Wood about his journey as state CIO and a little bit about what's next. It's been an amazing ride. Uh, we, we completed all kinds of things that I was told over and over again, cannot be done in government. Uh, I was told by all sorts of people how impossible it is to change education, how impossible it would be to bring cities and counties and schools and universities together for cybersecurity. Uh, I was told endlessly it was impossible to work remotely. Uh, I mean, this is endlessly. We were told what could not be done, and we've done most, almost all of those things. Um, and it's just kind of really, it's blown me away with an organization that has just really moved forward with its heart and thought about the art of the possible instead of the roadblocks. And it has just done all kinds of things that, frankly, most governments are just told endlessly can't be done and everybody's like, no, that can't be. And and we just blew all that stuff away. I was just, just amazed at the team's capacity and capabilities. Yeah, definitely. Well, the, the pandemic definitely did that for remote work in a lot of places. How would, yes. uh, you know, aside from the pandemic, which obviously uh, affected you guys too, what, what were the sort of other moving pieces in terms of making those impossible changes happen? You know, uh, 
simply having leaders that were willing to come together and listen and believe that they really can do something really changed the conversation, right? So when we had the chancellor of the university system and presidents of university schools and the head of K-12 education and the governor's office and 40 other different organizations all sitting in the same room, all agreeing that kids must have computer science and cyber science as part of their education. It just, it from there, gravity took over. And having leaders who are willing to come together, set politics aside, set personal pride aside, set ego aside, and work on real problems, it, it's just, it, it was astounding in what we could get done when people were willing to do that. Right. Um, what about cybersecurity within the state? How are things different today than they were when you came on board? When I got here, we had three FTEs and they had an operational scope of 852 devices. Today, we have 51 FTEs. We've increased our operational budget by over $70 million. And today we have one of the largest defense perimeters in the entire country. We defend 252,000 users every single day with hundreds of thousands of devices behind that. Uh, the state that used to have barely the IT department under one cybersecurity perimeter now has the entire executive branch, legislative branch, judicial branch, higher ed, K-12, cities and counties, all in one cyber shared service. On top of that, we've been able to extend education out to every single student in the state, kindergarten through PhD. So rich schools, poor schools, private schools, public schools, tribal schools, uh, universities, all of them offer computer science and cyber science in one shape, fashion, or form now. We've also been able to do the very first ever, as far as I know, first in the world, cyber state championship at a high school level. So we have uh, crowned this last year high school state champions in cybersecurity. Uh, we had 15 schools that were in the finals all competing. And in fact, our middle school version of that starts tomorrow. So uh, mm. which was which is a great thing. The high school one will again be in in uh, end of February. Uh, really awesome stuff that's going on in that sense. We also created the the first joint cybersecurity operations center that now has 11 states and a tribal nation in it. Uh, that cybersecurity operations center has the ability for advanced information sharing, but also for actual shared services across state lines. So states can defend each other when it comes to a cyber attack. So all of this stuff is all brand new in the last six years. None of this existed before that. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a huge leap in where we were to where we are and where we can possibly go in the future. Because this doesn't have to be a North Dakota story. This can be an American story. This can be every single state has computer science and cyber science, kindergarten through PhD. And there's a lot of states that are really interested in doing that. And a lot of them that are talking through how they can get that done. Hmm. Well, outside of education and cybersecurity, are there any projects that uh, you're especially fond of or that stick out to you as as important? Yeah, I, I think there's some amazing things that we have been part of that we've helped to enable. So we're helping to enable 
the largest drone test site in the world here at 70,000 square mile drone test site where everything from these little four inch guys to, to drones that are bigger than 747s are being tested out in partnership with the FAA and the FCC and the FTC and others and all, all of our, our friend, federal friends. Um, we have an immense project there that will change transportation in the future, that will change the ability to move people and packages and services in the future because of, of those drone technologies, unmanned aerial systems. Um, we're also part of uh, the Grand Farm Initiative, and the Grand Farm is is creating an immense technology base from organizations all over the world that is really transforming agriculture to be able to feed every human on the entire planet by 2030. Um, those are just amazing things that are going on, and that's just kind of the... Uh, the tip of the iceberg of everything that's been going on here in North Dakota, but uh, we're we we make impressions. Let's put it that way. Sure. So uh, six years is well above average for a state CIO to uh, to stay around. So you don't really need an excuse to leave in that respect. But is there a was there a reason that uh, for the timing to, to leave now? Yeah, for me. So I I have a long story about me. People can go watch the TED Talk if they want to know the story. But but the the short and the sweet is I always go where I can make a massive difference. And I go to uh, initiatives that are about impact. And I've been able to do this because of things that happened to me earlier in my life and have enabled me to do that. But I left the normal private sector to go to the healthcare private sector because I wanted to make the world better for people. I left healthcare to go to government because they made this opportunity to make the world better for people. And I'm leaving government to go back to the private sector again because of the same thing. And the projects I'm going to be working on are going to be around zero carbon displacement and energy reuse with carbon reuse and heat reuse and things that will will really be able to benefit the world, benefit our all our children, and uh, give us a cleaner nature and a cleaner environment as we go forward. Yeah, let's let's get into that a little bit. I I looked at so you're headed to a company called BitZero International, or maybe some uh, division of that company, and I looked at its website, and from what I could gather, it had something to do with like what like what you're saying, green something or other. I couldn't quite piece it together. So could you? Could uh, yeah. could you kind of help help edu- educate everyone? What is what's going on yeah. there? Yeah, it's zero carbon displacement with heat capture and energy reuse. And what's going on there is it's a collection of technologies and methodologies that are helping us to be able to bring things like data centers off of black energy into green energy that are helping us move things into a uh, place where instead of putting electricity into a data center and simply getting waste out of that in the form of heat, that that heat can be recaptured again into other sources and uh, could be greenhouses, could be fisheries, can be uh, drying corn, uh, all those kinds of aspects, but it's, it's effectively making data center technologies uh, vastly more efficient 
than what they have been in the past and vastly more effective from an energy standpoint. I see. And was the starting point for this cryptocurrency mining? Yeah, so the initial the initial starting point of this was cryptocurrency mining. The proof of concept was uh, if you could do this with cryptocurrencies, you can do this in any data scenario. Mm-hmm. You can do this in any data center scenario. So it did start in that space, yes. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. I, that's what I was assuming. And so the company is, I see, um, making partnerships and uh, kind of uh, co-investing in, in things along these lines is there anything else i mean you know i don't i don't know how much you're allowed to share but what else can you can you share have you met have you met kevin o'leary that's the important question uh uh, yeah that's oddly enough that's the question everybody asks me is kevin o'leary and then elon musk and i'm like kevin o'leary yes elon musk not yet um but um yeah i've met kevin o'leary several times actually but um the the reality is, is what we're doing is, is still very new. It's still very much growing. Mm. It's, it's got a great capacity to help, help the world. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to this opportunity as I get into the role in December. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds very exciting. Um, yeah, I see you speaking of Elon Musk, people, this is audio only, so people can't see this, but there's a kind of pop art poster behind you that says Mars on it. Are you a, uh, what, what attracted you to that? Oh, I've been a Mars guy forever. Uh, I actually, uh, if we go to my my other place in Mandan, I have a giant, massive Mars poster from NASA. Uh, when you walk in, my hallway is entirely this massive Mars. Uh, to me, it's always been a source of inspiration. It's been a source of vision, right? Uh, humanity needs to be able to expand and needs to challenge itself to continue to grow and mars is just this this wonderful place to expand and challenge ourselves for and uh it's just kind of been a centerpiece for me forever and uh, as i've said i don't i don't know how but i'm going to be elon to mars i don't know how but i'm going to figure out a way (laughs) all right well yeah you're going to need some of that cryptocurrency i think to uh to match his funding but uh yeah yeah so um Okay, good. Any chance you'll return to government at some point, or is that uh, TBD? Um, you know, I'm I'm totally open to it. I think uh, I I want to go wherever I can be the most effective and wherever again I can help people. And uh, government may be that call again in the future. I wouldn't roll that out in in any way. All right. Well, we got it. We have a headline now. Shots fired. Watch watch your back, Elon Musk. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Riley's going to beat you to Mars. Riley's coming for you. Yeah. Yeah. Sean Riley, Chief Information Officer for the state of North Dakota, who's leaving his post this December. You can read more about him and North Dakota's work at statescoop.com. I'm Jake Williams, host of Statescoop's Priorities Podcast. Next week on the show, we highlight more nominees of NASIO's 2022 State IT Recognition Awards. You can subscribe to the podcast at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Connecticut Office of Early Childhood is revamping how the state delivers digital services to parents. The office embarked on the development of a parent portal to give families easy online access. Now, with the portal, families can apply for programs, pre-screen for program eligibility, upload verifications, and view their account history. The state's IT office says the effort will serve as a template as they further refine the state's digital strategy. The portal effort was nominated for a NASIO State IT Recognition Award this year. Tawani Pandya, an IT director for the office, tells State Scoop's Colin Wood about the creation of the portal. This project was um, mainly, you know, coming from the fact that the paper-based processes that we had, you know, in place before this project came on were completely manual in nature. Um, people, parents that had to apply for their childcare needs had to either mail in their applications to our agency. They had to either come, you know, drop off the paperwork that they had created for their childcare to be able to be enrolled in this program. Um, so it would this project was thought of as a very good point to eliminate all of this, like, you know, manual trouble that families were going through. Um, the times uh, that this was released was also very important as, as you know, we were in this COVID timeframe, the manual nature of, of this um, application process was just cumbersome because people were not in the office and how, how would you get to you know, submit your application and all of that. Also, the existing processes that govern the eligibility of whether a child is eligible to receive, you know, this kind of subsidy. All of the eligibility rules are quite complex and difficult to understand. So, um, and, and putting these complex processes for eligibility on paper as questions was very tough. So, you know, before the portal came on, we would have parents who would apply, you know, on the paper-based form, and then we would have to go back and say that, oh, we're sorry, your child cannot be enrolled in this program because of, you know, A, B, and C. But after this portal came out, all of these eligibility rules are in the pre-screener um, that we have in the parent portal. So parents just, you know, when they take this pre-screener, they're able to just understand themselves based on their family situation, whether they're eligible to receive benefits or not. Right. So in order to ease all of this, that, that's how, you know, the, 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 the parent portal idea was created. Right. Great. All right. Well, I want to get into the, some of the challenges and the, the implementation side of things. But first, could you sort of very briefly describe what the system looks like today, just so everyone has an idea of what we're talking about. So yes, of course. So the system today, um, it has two main components. It has a pre-screen eligibility tool, which will get into several questions to assess the family situation. Um, it, it also has income determinations and things like that, that will assess financial situation of the family. And then program-based situation. So are you going to a licensed childcare provider or not? And you know, all, all of your situational questions it will ask you. And then in the end, it will tell you exactly how much you're going to be eligible to receive in childcare benefits. And the way the system works is these benefits are not, are not made out to the parents, they're made out to the programs that their children participate in. So all of that um, is entirely taken care of by the parent portal. Um, and, and so that's the pre-screener eligibility tool. And another thing that the system offers is the new application process. So, um, you know, right from creating 
a user account in our system to then, you know, that them being able to create a new application for their child. If it is, you know, a sibling that's coming on, then they're able to do that in our system and then submit the application to, to OEC. So, so that's, those are the two things that our parent portal does right now. Right. Great. All right. Well, okay. Then, all right. So we have the starting point and the ending point. So let's uh, kind of fill in the gaps. How did you get from there to here? What were the challenges? What were the big considerations as you took on this project? Yeah, thank you for asking this question. So OEC is the administrative agency for the Care for Kids program. Um, we provide the policy, policy administration, legislative, and leadership um, policies on, on the actual uh, compliance of the program. Then we have other um, agencies that participated with us in this through this process. United Way of Connecticut is our operational partner. Um, then you know we had Deloitte, who was the implementation vendor for for this project. So one of the challenges I could say is um, this was definitely a teamwork exercise. But getting um, all of the uh, members on the team to come to you know phases of the project together so getting stakeholder engagement from all of these multiple groups in a timely sort of a manner was the was the major challenge for this project um the other challenge for the project was money because um it 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 was a substantial investment that the agency had to make in this kind of portal offering but because of the benefits that it was going to bring in the end it was all worth it. But those were the couple of major challenges that we had in building this. Right. Are you able to share how much the project costs and how it was funded and all that? We, uh, OEC is a recipient of the CCDF grant. It's a federal grant that was awarded um, to OEC and, and that grant money was spent on creation of this portal. Um, I think approximately uh, $2 million were spent on the implementation uh, partner services to bring the portal live. Um, and, and in terms of people, we had 1.5 full-time employees of United Way of Connecticut, which is our operational vendor, and then um, three full-times for the review of all the documentation, eligibility criteria, and testing. And then all throughout the project, uh, we had about three or four OEC staff personnel that were spending, you know, about 15 to 20 hours each week for, for the duration of the time frame of the project, which was eight to nine months. Mm -hmm. So, okay. And then in terms of the impact of the project, whether that's positive feedback that you get or time, you know, administrative a reduction in, in dealing with uh, physical paperwork and so forth. What have, what have the positive benefits been of having completed this? Oh, the positive benefits have been very heavy. The, the portal, well, first of all, the portal is an online portal, so it allows for uh, citizens to apply for the program uh, to, you know, at, they can apply in the program as and when it's convenient to them. Like they don't have to be, you know, 
it, they don't have to mail in or you know come to our agency to drop off paperwork. So the convenience is one big benefit that the uh, portal brings. Another thing is because everything is um, just set in rules that that work in the system. Um, th- th- there is not much that's required from a parent standpoint for for them to understand the rules to make sure that you know whether they fit certain criteria for eligibility or or not. So there is very little uh, you know brain brain power that's used from the parents to assess their their particular situation with regard to the uh, the the policy rules and all of that. Um, then the online portal provides real real-time online feedback regarding the status so it removes any of the guesswork that's you know i i have submitted my application it has been two or three days where is it so so that they can just go on the portal and get um feedback on their on their status so that is another thing um then with the digitization of this application, we we are seeing about twenty four percent reduction in illegible um, illegible applications, as well as a fifty two percent reduction in incomplete applications. So so that is tremendous, and we've just seen an uptick in the number of applications that we're receiving. Before uh, before we put this parent portal on, we were seeing about 850 applications through the manual paper-based process, and now we're seeing about 1,050 applications a month. And out of those applications, 70% are coming in through the online portal. So it's tremendous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to someone, uh, let's say your counterpart in another state who's considering uh, taking on a kind of modernization project like this one, do you have any uh, advice or um, kind of big lessons learned that you would that you would tell that person? That's a great question. Um, I The main advice is plan, plan, and plan. Like th- these type of modernization efforts take a long time. So if the planning is not, you know, set in place, way ahead of when the project starts um these kind of projects are bound to you know be affected by um timeliness and and like those kinds of things so i would just say make sure that you're giving enough time planning things ahead of time so that when it comes to implementation you have an entire project plan that's laid out in front of you so that you're not losing out on time right and uh because technology is never finished, uh, what's next for this project? Do you have any plans to expand its functionality or anything else so, along those lines? Yes, yes, we, we sure do. Um, so we're in the process right now for writing requirements, for making this portal do much more than what it's doing right now. One of the things that we want this portal to do is for residents to come in and report changes. Um, so like if they have you know any income changes during the year then it would be great to for them to just have to come to the portal to give us those changes as opposed to right now they have to make manual changes uh, through through paperwork um so any of the change management thing if if your child is not able to you know go to the specific childcare facility that the, that the funding was going to go to um being able to report on that so there are several things that the families report during the year that would be great for them 
to just come onto the portal to um, make those changes as opposed to letting us know either via phone or through paper. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing that is a huge part um, is the renewal application. So our parent portal right now does a great job at the new applications and new process. But then, you know, eventually we want to be able to support the renewals online too, because we already have an established user base that came in the first year. And it would be great because there are a lot of other things that need to be considered for the renewal. Um, and, and, and then furthermore, um, an ability for them to, to come to our portal at any time and, um, you know, extending our portal to do much more than what it is right now. So we have OEC, Office of Early Childhood, we have our Care for Kids program on this online portal, but then the eventual plan would be to have other state services, digital offerings also appear on this same portal so that um, citizens can just come to one place and access their multiple benefits that they have across agencies and not just their childcare benefit. Dwani Pandya, an IT director at the Connecticut Office of Early Childhood. You can read more about the office's parent portal and digital services at statescoop.com. You can also read more about all of the other projects that won or were nominated for NASIO State IT Recognition Awards. The Priorities Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't already, please leave a review or a rating on the podcast page. They make it more likely that more people will find the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Carlin Fisher and James Mahoney helped put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.